From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into Handraise Guys, presented by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. I'm Neil McCready. Today on the show, Chase Parham and former Ole Miss pitcher Craig Rodriguez. I have a uh, about a 50-minute conversation about Ole Miss baseball as uh, the Rebels continue to work through the second half of the SEC season. Ole Miss coming off of a uh, win on Tuesday night in Jackson over Mississippi State. They head to Fayetteville this weekend for uh, a three-game set against the Razorbacks. Those games... Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday at noon. Uh, Ole Miss uh, comes home after that. They'll play this three series in the month of uh, of May. Home against Missouri at LSU, and then home against Texas A&M to finish the regular season before uh, the SEC tournament in Hoover, Alabama. And obviously there's a lot of storylines going on with Mike Bianco and uh, who might replace him. Interestingly, Craig Rodriguez, I'm sure this was just a coincidence on Chase's part. Chase found a guest who uh, played for Bianco and uh, at a time when McDonald was here. He's also been a part of uh, the Ole Miss staff as a, as a GA getting started. So we talked about that as well. So we talked to uh, Craig. And then uh, I catch up with an old friend of mine, Mark Heim, of uh, WNSP in Mobile, Alabama, AL.com. Mark and I worked together in Mobile at the Press Register for years. And uh, hosted a radio show together down there on WNSP for a couple of years as well. So we catch up a little bit. Then we talk Saints. NFL draft is today. Starts today. First round tonight. And then uh, the second and third rounds on Friday. Then the draft finishes up on Saturday. All eyes, at least here, on Matt Corral, who, um, as of this moment, just kind of looking at some projections and such, was looking at a couple of mock drafts. uh, Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay on ESPN. Neither of them have Matt Corral going in the first round today. I'll give you the highlights of this real quick before we get to some um, get to the interviews. Um, Kuyper, I'm sorry, McShay has Trayvon Walker of Georgia going first, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan going second. Then I'm just getting down looking. Charles Cross going fifth overall, the Mississippi State offensive lineman to the Giants. This is in McShay's Mac, mock, I should say. Uh, let's see. Uh, Garrett Wilson. The wide receiver from Ohio State going 10. Drake London, wide receiver from USC going 11. They've got a uh, a, a trade happening here. Anyway, uh, they got Philadelphia taking Jamison Williams 15, the Alabama wide receiver. They have the Saints at 16 taking Chris Olave, the wide receiver from Ohio State. Kair Elam, the cornerback from Florida, going 17. He has, has the Saints doubling down uh, with a defensive lineman at 19 with Devontae Wyatt. The quarterbacks, which is what we're all watching for, uh, he has both of these guys, McShay and Kuyper, have Malik Willis, the quarterback from Liberty, going 20 to Pittsburgh. Um, Looking for other SEC, not even SEC, but quarterbacks. Uh, They have uh, Kenny Pickett. McShay does, has Kenny Pickett, the quarterback from Pitt, going 32 at the end of the first round. Uh, to the Detroit Lions, ironically, in the uh, Los Angeles with the Rams pick that was used in the Stafford trade. Um, And then Kuyper has uh, 
Trayvon Walker going first, Hutchinson second. So a lot of agreement has Cross going fifth, Evan Neal going sixth. They both have that. Um, looking for quarterbacks in this draft here, uh, they have the Saints taking uh, Trevor Penning, the offensive tackle from Northern Iowa, at 16. And then they have the Saints at 19. This is Kuyper taking Kenny Pickett, the quarterback from Pitt. Like I said, uh, Kuyper agrees with McShay that Malik Willis from Liberty goes 20th. And then um, other quarterbacks, I don't think there's another quarterback that goes in in that mock. They've got the Bengals taking George Karlaftis, the defensive end from Purdue, and uh, Louis, Louis Sign from Georgia going 32nd to the uh, Lions in that Rams pick that I mentioned a minute ago. So no one's got um, – very few people, I should say, have Matt going in the first round tonight. So that's something we're watching for. I was talking to Tyler Siski earlier today, who, of course, was part of the, the staff that recruited Matt Corral to Ole Miss. Tyler's still kind of holding on to some optimism that uh, Matt goes late first round. He thinks that a deal gets done late tonight as teams uh, stare down that possibility of closing for the night and someone making a deal in the middle of the night uh, to, uh, to grab Corral. Because obviously a couple of teams, Saints, Seahawks, uh, having have eyes on Corral in the second round if he falls to there. So we'll get to all of uh, we'll get to the interviews. Mark and I talk uh, NFL draft a little bit as well. That gets started tonight at seven. But before we get started with all that, let me tell you we're brought to you by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. Same great product, same great services, same great people, just different names. If you're in the Oxford Tupelo area, get in touch with Comer six six two eight zero one one seven seven seven. If you are in Hernando, if you're in um, Memphis, DeSoto County, that area. Get in touch with the people at Southern Air Conditioning and Heating, 662-429-4429. If you uh, haven't had that air conditioner checked, I don't know if you've been outside today, if you're in the Mississippi area, it is it is warm today. It's 80 degrees, starting to, get, starting to heat up. You want to make sure that air conditioner is ready to roll, ready to handle the heat when it rolls in. Uh, May 1st is Sunday, so you know what happens in May. In this part of the country, it's going to start getting hot. You want to make sure that AC is ready uh, for the demand that you're going to put on it. So get in touch with Southern, get in touch with Comer, and they'll make sure that you are ready to go. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He will send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around, or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. 662-257-1900. Craig Rodriguez, Mark Heim join on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. Great place to grab a burger, a po' boy, uh, an appetizer. Uh, they've got a great beer selection, full bar, and more. Rafters on the Square in Oxford and also Rafters in New Albany. Again, Ole Miss baseball this weekend in uh, Fayetteville against the Arkansas Razorbacks. We'll have coverage of that throughout the weekend. But here's a preview of that, but also more of an in-depth conversation about Ole Miss baseball and where it is and maybe why it is where it is and maybe where it kind of goes from here. Here's uh, Chase Parham and uh, former Ole Miss pitcher Craig Rodriguez on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Craig Rodriguez now joining us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Craig, good to see you. Talked a little bit off and on over uh, over the years. Seemed like a good time to to get this going today. 
has a almost having a little bit of a difficult season. Sitting there at six and twelve in the SEC, they're headed to Fayetteville Friday for a uh, a three game set. Well, obviously, some bigger things going around the program as well as we don't know what the future holds for Mike Bianco and different things. And you've been in multiple capacities. A lot of the um, around the program a good bit. You played at Ole Miss in 06 and 07, part of the SEC championship team in 06, and a couple of the uh, the super regional teams as well. You were recruited by Dan McDonald out of Pearl River and uh, came back for a fall as well. So you saw a little bit six, seven years later when you were um, around in 2011 for that. That would have been Cliff Godwin's first fall in Oxford as well. So appreciate the time today. I see you've got jerseys or something behind us back there behind you from back in the day. But uh, what, what's going on with you? How's it going? What, uh, what, what are you doing these days? Yeah, appreciate uh, appreciate you having me. Um, and ended up uh, coaching for, for three or four years after after getting out of playing and uh, kind of figured out that that wasn't for me. Um, tried my hand, obviously, at the college level. Tried my hand in the, uh, in the at the high school and in the, in the travel ball side of things. And, you know, enjoyed being around the game. Um it's it's kind of interesting in terms of the the way that just times have changed. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's you're either a fit or you're not. And for me, I just kind of found out for for myself that you know I, I enjoy teaching the game, but I do better in a in a more of a one on one setting. So now back in uh, back in Houston, we uh, my wife and I are have kind of moved all over. We've lived in uh, we lived in San Francisco for the last two years. Finally came back to uh, to Texas. Uh, bought a house in Houston, so uh, work remote for a, a tech company out of the Bay Area, selling a uh, a SaaS product, a software as a service. And uh, fortunate with uh, with the way kind of the current times are, we're able to be completely remote. So we get back up to Oxford as much as possible. Currently, uh, my family has a place there where uh, we're, we're back a decent bit. So try to try to catch as many obviously football games and, and baseball series as possible but yeah just hanging out working you've done some competitive softball play a good bit of golf how do you kind of keep the the competitive juices going because i talked to all you guys and the former players and stuff and you're all you're all off into something still trying to to, to keep this keep the adrenaline up in some way yeah for sure no i um uh, i actually got into <laughs> slow pitch softball kind of as a as a uh, as a side thing when i was coaching at northwest florida down in the panhandle and um when i ended up getting out of coaching i was still doing that and, and it's kind of crazy it's i think everybody at least my age and probably even a little older envisioned slow pitch softball as that wreck you know that wreck sport where it's like yeah we go have some beer and, and we play and then we go home on wednesday you know wednesday night um it's actually insane um I ended up getting connected with a uh, with a sponsor out of South Texas and, and played at a in a at a level that travel all over the country. Um, you know, fly here, play. You know, fly to Maryville, Tennessee, play in the, in a in the Smoky Mountain Classic. Fly to Florida, fly to uh, Vegas, and uh, and ended up doing that for probably four four and a half years. Um, ended up my last couple of years with a sponsor out of Florida, and and it's awesome. Like those guys you know, take care of everything. It's literally like playing college sports again. Show up, everything's ready for you. All you got to do is play. Uh, but I ended up stepping away. I have uh, I have to have full hip replacement. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so I've, uh, I've got that in the process of being scheduled. So right now, like you mentioned, I play a lot of golf, as weird as that is with a bad hip. But uh, yeah, it's, it's something I think for me, uh, 
like you said, kind of keeps the competitive juices flowing. It allows me to compete against myself and not, you know, end up irate with other people. <laughs> I did not get you on to talk slow pitch softball. So I'm only going to ask one question or so, but what is the profile of a nationally competitive slow pitch softball player? I mean, is it all pro is it all former athletes? I mean, like what are the yeah. attributes here that, that we're dealing with? Cause I mean, obviously, and then also, you guys can probably hit it out on any pitch. Like it's got, it's got to be more strategy on moving the ball around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of cool. You know, when I got into it, I didn't think I would play at the level I played at. And, uh, and basically the level I'm at, there's only one, I guess, grouping higher than what I'm classified. Uh, but when you get to these tournaments, like, man, I was running into guys that I played pro ball with. And it was like, what are you doing here? And they're like, same thing you're doing here. I, I, I have that competitive itch. But, yeah, it's it's old, you know, college football players, college baseball players, mm-hmm. you know, it, you name it. But it's not just that. It's it's also the guy that you look at and go, there's no way. And then that guy's usually the guy who, like you said, who, you know, the bigger guys, the, the former athlete, college athletes are all guys that are just hitting it out at will while that guy who is just picking you to death. But, yeah, Um it's not just, you know, letting it fly, hitting it out. It's, you know, picking a hole and, and making sure you hit through that hole and stuff like that. It's very strategic, but yeah, it was, uh, it's fun. My, my wife would probably beg to differ, but uh, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> so jumping into this, I'm, I'm going to kind of bounce all over the place. I want to go back to, to some of your recruitment, some things with Dan, Mike, some different things from that time period. But start here, this team – Really, Mike's worst season to date. I mean, they've never been worse than 13 and 17 in a season. This thing, while it's not over, there's 12 league games left. They don't look right in any facet of it. You still pay pretty damn close attention. Uh, you talked to Austin a little bit, who's been pretty vocal on the Twitter machine with his uh, his stuff over the last month or so. And I, I tell you, I see a team that presses a lot. I see a team that has some – doesn't have the right mentality overall. I, I never want to talk about a team collective because it's hard to say every team, every player has one thing. But the leaders on this team are pretty quiet. Uh, you know, I, I, we, we talked about it all for record a little bit. I mentioned this in the podcast. And essentially, you know, I don't remember who had the quote, but and maybe you and I mentioned this too, is, you know, you can't have nothing but a guy, a team full of people that drink milkshakes, and you can't have, you know, you can't have anything but nothing but assholes. you got to be have somewhere in the middle and some mix here. And – they did appear to be an edge to this team. They appear to have kind of freaked out a little bit. And I guess my question is, is that something that is fair to say without being in the dugout, without being around them? Is this something that you notice as far as just their body language, how they go about their day-to-day activity we can see from our vantage point? And then two, in today's world of college baseball, is it possible to recruit attitude and recruit the type of chemistry from this standpoint? Because these kids are coming out so damn early that how do you guarantee you have this mix? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I think for, for me in terms of watching what's going on, I I do think it started in like the Tennessee series. We were in town for that. And, you know, I actually hung out and talked to, uh, to Steven head a little bit and, and I was vocal in terms of my thoughts that weekend just seemed like it was the, you know, the, uh, the punch in the face and the thought, or I guess the, the response on the fan side is go is how are they going to react? And in the reaction is like, it just took all the wind out of their sails. And, you know, for, for somebody who did it, 
on the outside looking in, yeah, you wonder like, what's going on? Like this team last year, it's the same guys from last year, minus what uh, two two like mainstays in the lineup or on the rotation. It, it, it's, it's only Kel Baker is the only offensive player that is not from not not here from last year, and then you've got Doug Taylor and Gunner. That's it. Right. So, you know, it's like, what's, what's changed? What was, what was the mentality? Was it, you know, is it the fact that, that Doug, Doug is gone with the fire that he had, you know, what's, what is kind of invoked this, this kind of solemn look that they play with. And it's, you know, not everybody's fiery, like, like a guy like Elko, he's more of a, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to lead by example in terms of and showing it, um, you know, and I think, and, and a guy like Bench, like I've never met Bench in my life. The kid is a hell of a player, but I assume watching him play, he does not talk. Mm-hmm. If he does, it's pulling somebody to the side, just having a conversation. He does not come off vocal at all. And Gonzalez you know, doesn't. He's quiet. Yeah, 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 that's another one. Gonzalez watching him play. He just it's it's like they have a bunch of guys that show up to the field. It's like pro ball, really. And, and not saying that, that in a bad way, but it's a bunch of guys that just show up to the field and go about their job. And you know, you've got guys like I saw a video, somebody posted um, I want to say it was at Carolina when uh or no, sorry, it was the complete game, Delusia threw last weekend, mm-hmm. where like Van Cleve was like the first person out. And it's like that that he seems more of a, of a vocal guy, but it's like you have to have a guy like I was fortunate when I was there, a guy like Coglin, who, you know, I think I made a comment about, uh, you know, baseball being a stupid game with the intent of, you know, it's it's a funny game. And it was put in the paper and, and Coglin the next day grabs me and was like, what the hell is this? Like, th- this really? is, yeah, but it took guys like that. It took somebody to who was a you know, a leader on the field in terms of how they go about their business and, and a guy who's successful, but also that same guy being, you know, a guy who's willing to light a fire under somebody and watching this group, it seems like, like I said, that, that Tennessee series was just an absolute punch in the gut, took the wind out of their sails. And like you said, nobody's, it doesn't seem like anybody's having fun. They're all pressing. And it's, it, it's, it sucks because it's like, for Coach Bianco and Clement and Laugh, uh, it's like how do you how do you understand the struggle right now, but make it fun again? And, and you know, I think everybody's heard the saying: the way that you spell fun is W I N. Yeah, sure. And you know, it's like that's it's it's such like a, a kind of a sticky situation right now in terms of you can't show you're having fun when you're losing, so we got to win, but we can't have. You know, we, we can't create that fun environment where we play a lot, you know, a little looser. So it's 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 a it's a weird element or, or, or kind of environment right now for for them. And, it, and you can tell watching them like like we've talked. It's it seems like not saying they go out and go through the motions. It's it's like they're they just go out, play. There's no, you know, they're waiting on something bad to happen. Yeah, it's almost like they've, they've lost the understanding of how to win and that they're like waiting it's it to me it reminds me of that program that's never won and a coach trying to change that stigma like how do you do it It, it, because you know you're showing up with guys that are like you said waiting on the bad thing to happen no like like i i watched some of the game last night and it's you know they came out early and then what was it i think the hit batsman with two outs in the first Mm -hmm. inning and it's so 
bad watching them, or, or it's not bad, but it's so odd watching them and their reaction. I immediately was like, and kind of knowing baseball is like, that guy's probably going to score. And then the next thing you know, they tie it up and it's like, dude, you're, you're up to nothing. Like have a shutdown inning in the first, it won't, you know, flatten them completely, but that's a hell of a start, especially in that game. And it just didn't happen. So taking it back a little bit, because it's interesting, you mentioned the Tennessee and the punch in the mouth. And it, it's somewhat like early on in you guys, 2006 season and your first season in Oxford, because in 2005, they had the thing and they lose head and Petway and Holloman's gone and Maloney. And there's this big turnover Still a lot of talent around. You had guys that were obviously back for that 2016, but there was questions about what that was going to look like. And you start one and five in league play. Uh, I think you get popped by Vanderbilt and Alabama, if I have that right, thinking back those first two weekends. And uh, you're sitting there at one and five. It's just your first season, obviously, at, at that level. But what happened? Like, what was the mood? Like, who jerks you out of that? Because you go, you go to Athens and you sweep the next week, and that team, that team ends up 18 and 12 in the league. They had a good year. But – what what is that like when you're one in five with that group? Because I know some of the guys you played with, like there was that you you had the asshole around there. Yeah. No, that was like honestly, it's funny that gets brought up to me a good bit. Like I met up with Laugh before the Tennessee series that we had my uh, brother, sister law in town, and their family. And I wanted to just show them the stadium and everything mm-hmm. before we came. And Laugh brought that up, the one in five start, and it was an interesting dynamic for me because I went into the fall going, Hey, I was a highly recruited Juco guy. Like I was the guy that not, I was one of those guys that they're going, this guy should come in and pitch on the weekend. That's why I went there Mm -hmm. and, you know, had a so, so fall, but we had a couple of guys like a a Nick Hetland, um, you know, a couple of other guys that had really solid falls. So it's like, Hey, those are our weekend guys. So I fell to the bullpen. Well, I got a call, I guess that like Tuesday, from Bun, and he's like, Hey, you need to throw a bullpen and lift today. And I was like, Huh? He's like, Yeah, you're starting Friday. So it was a weird dynamic for me because I'm going to that weekend going, Hell yeah. Like, this is what I came here for. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, that helped going into that weekend. But then you also had guys like a Coglin, like a CJ Ketchum, like a Justin Henry, a Brashear, uh, you know, a, a Silent or a quieter guy like AP, who it was like, Hey, this shit stops. And because for me, it fell, fell to me on Friday. It was, I want to say Coglin and CJ both grabbed me and was like, Hey, it stops. And it starts with you stopping it. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we end up going into that weekend sweeping. And in the next thing you know, it's, you know, the tides turned. And I think I might've shot you a text, but it was like it, that Tennessee weekend reminded me of where we were at in 06, but it was like, how are they going to respond? And like I said, we've kind of seen the response of, man, like, not, I don't want to say they're feeling sorry for themselves, but I feel like they kind of are because there's a lofty expectation. They get to number one and then it's like, oh, shit, excuse my language. Oh, you no, know, oh crap. oh, crap. Like, we are not who they and we thought we were. I'll tell you, I told Head and I told Damon Ionelli, the guy that drafted me, Tennessee is the best college baseball team I have seen in my life. And that's being around Rice in the 90s and 2000s. That's being an LSU fan my entire life. Best college baseball team I've ever seen. You have, for them to lose, they have to have a really bad night and you have to have your best night. And that, I just hadn't seen it. I mean, outside of like the Tennessee Tech game, which was 
But I think that response, like I said, you wait on that response and it's like, okay, hey, where's the where's the the, the guy who's pissed off and going to make it stop? And, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I've talked to a few guys on the team. Um, I was around Peyton when he was like, shoot, 12 when I coached for Hunter Pence out here. But I don't know any of them personally to know their mentality. Like I said, I can just go off of what I see. Um, just it seems like a lot of guys who keep to themselves and go about their business. Yeah. And it's college, man. It's it's a it's a it's a team. It's a, it's a group. It's you can have that mentality in pro ball and not saying that in a bad way, but it's just different at this level. And somebody has to step up. And I think, like I said, I think a guy like Van Cleve is is trying to do that. But I think nothing against Ben. I think it has to be that mainstay in the lineup or that yeah. that you know that pitcher that's a Friday night guy or Saturday night guy stepping up and, and doing that. No, look, tons of credit to Van Cleve after the SEMO game because he was the guy that led the meeting. At least somebody tried. He he did Absolutely. it. He, you know, and he, he told some people, hey, look, I'm going to say my piece. Whether it works or doesn't, I'm not going to leave here and not, and not, and not try. So credit right. to him because nobody else Absolutely. was doing it. So 100% Absolutely. there. That, that's no thing. And what's, what's interesting about what you said, and you alluded to it at the beginning, is that, you know, some people are fits to coach at this level at this point and, Let's just be honest, you can't get on – or people don't get on the kids as hard as they would back when you played. I mean, I have a feeling that – well, I don't have a feeling. I know Mike was different back then. Everybody was back different back then. I'm getting on guys and being hard. But I guess this is my point. Is is it a little self-fulfilling, though, in a way? Because, sure, I get that, yes, generations change, kids change. Things do – the expectations are, are different in a lot of ways. And that just happens and things probably will move back the other direction at some point. But I, was, I did a podcast with Mike, fall of 19, and he mentioned how he felt like he had gotten better at relating to kids and you did have to coach kids differently, that he was trying to figure that out and he had figured that out at some point. But, look, I know Mike pretty well. You know Mike pretty well. That's not his mentality. Mike's mentality is on you, on you, on you, go, 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 go. And it set a certain standard and a certain culture. I'm kind of curious a little bit is – if you're front running and you're winning and you've got Nikhazy and those guys, it's easier to kind of be however, and as long as everything's going all right, it's whatever. But when things are going poorly like right now, and Mike's having to be somebody he's not, does that affect it too? Because in some ways you're allowing the kids to be softer by coaching them softer, right? I mean, it's, it's almost kind of a what do you do to find the happy medium? Because in some ways when I heard Mike yell at him the other day, I said, wow, he hadn't yelled at him much. Like that's going to freak them out a little bit. Right. But that's the mic I'm so used to, and, and I've heard over the years, that in some ways I almost wonder if he's struggling, not just because he's having to coach a different way, because he's always has those one or two arms and been able to kind of put a lineup and a rotation together in a certain way. But even mentally, he can't do what is natural to him, and I wonder if that's affecting how they're responding in some way. Absolutely. I think that is it. It's it's a – it's a kind of a crappy situation. It's – like you just said, you on Coach Bianco's side, he kind of has pulled the reins back on how he goes about his day to day in terms of how he coaches. But that's what, you know, that's what it takes. If, you know, you figure out what it takes to get kids to respond. But like you said, ultimately, if he's not getting a response, yeah, I think the old, you know, old coach is going to come out. But the scary thing there is, it's just different where, you know, when we were challenged, you, you know, you growing up and through high school and even, even now I'm assuming 
Yeah, same with anybody I think our age. When we're challenged, it's okay, I'll show you. Okay. And in and, and other words being used on our end in our in yeah, our yeah. Sure. But you don't know how they react now. And 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 that's the that's the hard part because like you said, he blows up on them and then you go, I guarantee he got back to the locker room, shut their doors, and, you know, and he's talking with Lap and, and Clem and they're like, How do you think they're gonna react? Like yeah, what's gonna yeah. happen tomorrow? And that that's tough. It is. It's like like we chatted. That's ultimately why I got a coaching out of the college level and do individual stuff now is because I was coached a certain way and I am a product of that environment. And and I coach that way. But there are kids that are out there like that, um, that, that can respond to that. It's about the hard thing now is finding out how each kid or, or what they respond best to. And like, I'm scared to death. I'm going to be a dad in September. And my wife and I have daily conversations about like what's going on in the world in terms of how kids are and, mm-hmm. you know, how do we, and it, it's, it's tough. Like I will say this. So my wife played volleyball at Sam Houston state and then coached at U of H. I was fortunate to be around the program at university of Houston when she was coaching volleyball. And, uh, I had a conversation with the head coach because she was having the same issue. Like, how do I relate to these kids? I said, mm-hmm. and this is how I, I don't think you necessarily have to more so worry about relating to the kids. I think it's more of getting them to have an understanding of why you go about things the way you do. And I told her, I was like, for, for the two things that, and this is how I am in coaching. First things first, I put food on my table's family by coaching and I have to win. So I'm going to do what's necessary to win, whether that's, you know, sip my best player because he's not responding or, or whatever it may be. And then the other thing too, was getting the, getting to know the difference or the understanding of the difference between getting to and having to, you get to play baseball for the university of Mississippi. You don't have to, meaning this is how we go about our business. And if that doesn't work for you, there are, you know, how many thousands of kids out there who are more than willing to go, hey, I might not be the best, but I can I can work like that. And it's and it's tough. Like, it feels bad because it, it seems like it's deflating to Coach Bianco because I'm sure, you you know, like you said, you're around him all the time. I'm sure he sits up at night going, how do I like how do I get a response out of these kids? And and I'm sure. Miss Cammy is is right there with him. I know she was she she had a hand in me getting to to pitch on Friday night at Georgia, but I'm sure she <laughs> she sits there and is like you know offering advice because they have kids that age. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you know the four boys are are in college, and then the daughters yeah. last year yeah. in college or in high school. So like, they, they, but yeah, it's ah man, he's he's better than I am in terms of being able to try and handle it. <laughs> Was he the same guy? And obviously it was just a fall, but was he the same guy in 11 that he was in six and seven for the most part on how he handled the, the team? Or was it, did you feel a difference then? No, I think so. I think so. Yeah. I mean, he's always, I think you ask anybody that's played for him. He's very stern. He's, he's a, a you know, he's reserved in terms of he's quiet when he's getting on you. Like you said, he will yell, but he keeps it very monotone and very kind of low key. But what I was, I think we were, Stephen and I were laughing. Um, one of the days we were out there helping, um, 
you know, he, he gets on the guys. They've been just fumbling through drills. And he's like, all right, everybody in the line. And Steven and I are standing there and he looks at us and he's like, what are you doing? And we're like, we're hanging out. He's like, are you not going to get on the line? And, and Steven and I's mind, we had that fear instilled in us. It was like, oh shit, <laughs> is he being serious? Like, do we need to go? And of course he's joking, but like, that's the, that's the coach player relationship he had instilled in us to where it's like, Hey, we do things a certain way. If we don't do them that way, there is, there are repercussions. And I think, like you said, I think you've kind of seen a little bit of a change. So it was still that way in 11, you know, how it was when I was there, but it's, it's, you can tell it's taken its toll. I think on, I think everybody across the country and, you know, you see guys like Vitello, He's a player's coach, but at times, if you watch, I, I think he's kind of a friend to the players in terms of like you know the Mike Concho joke while on ESPN. Yeah, like, yeah, sure. You can tell there's a lot of and, and, and hey, they're thirty whatever and three. Like he's figured something out, but you have to figure out like hey, I want to be like you said, I want to be a player's coach. I want to be able to relate to you, but I also need there to be an understanding that I'm the coach and what I say goes. And, and I think that's kind of all around been a little bit of a, a struggle, I guess. So the podcast brought to you by Prime Shrimp. That's primeshrimp.com. I've been telling you about them for a while. You've done an excellent job of giving them a chance that many of you make in, uh, successive orders even after the first one. But if you're just now getting into it, if you're just now want to try out Prime Shrimp at primeshrimp.com, the code MPW gives you $20 off that first order. Make sure you give a shot to the, the two newest flavors, the garlic herb butter. You can put that on veggies, rice, mix it with steak, shrimp scampi, and more. Or the Louisiana Shrimp Bowl, which is one of my personal favorites. A little spicier option for those who want that extra kick. Again, primeshrimp.com, delivered straight to your door, money-back guarantee, 10 minutes freezer to plate that is primeshrimp.com and use code mpw and then also we're glad to welcome back style assembly located there on the oxford square ladies you can stop by or even call you can create a wish list of items that you love complete with everything from sizes to colors they keep those lists on file so guys can simply purchase something off your loved ones list don't even have to come in you can buy over the phone They'll have gift wrapped, waiting on you to pick up. They also ship if you're not in Oxford. They also offer gift cards and look, graduation coming up, Mother's Day coming up. It's a great time to use Style Assembly here in Oxford. Any amount, $10 off if you're a listener, if you're a Rebel Grove subscriber. So no matter the budget, no matter the location, Kate will personally work with you as a fellow rebelgrove.com subscriber to help you find the perfect gift for that special somebody. Stop by the store, 203 North Lamar Boulevard, Tuesday to Saturday, 10 to 5. Or call and just ask for Kate, 662-638-3163. That's Shop Style Assembly on Instagram. So no matter what you're looking for, Oxford's newest women's boutique, clothing, jewelry, shoes, purses, and more there, again, just off the uh, the Oxford Square. So, again, give her a call. That is 662-638-3163. Well, and he, Vidello also has, uh, you know, he, he has an assistant who basically runs the program day-to-day, too, which allows him to do some of those things, whereas – I mean, and this has been a criticism. This has been all kind of stuff. You know, Mike's kind of got a hand in everything. I mean, he's kind of functional in a more day-to-day role than, you know, a Patello or a Crew and Cross Florida Spurrier where you kind of go, okay, everybody's kind of handling and I'm just going to make sure everything's on the tracks and moving in the right direction and doing things along those lines. It it changes the element from that standpoint. And is, Vite- is what Patello is doing, is it sustainable? 
I mean, are we going to look up and see where he's put a monster together, or is he having a season, in your opinion? Um, I don't know. Uh, that's that's a good question. You're exactly right, though. He takes he takes a professional baseball approach on the coaching side of things. He's the manager. Mm-hmm. He has his coaches. Mm-hmm. Where I think at the college level, yeah, it's it's a young man's game in terms of coaching, and I think. You know, with, with laugh, love laugh, you know, talk to Clem, enjoy being around him. I think coach has done a good job of getting guys who, you know, are relatable to the players. They're younger guys. They, they, they've been there, done it as a player. But then they also, you know, on the coaching side of things can keep things very uh, relatable, I, I guess is the word I'll use. But at the same time, like you said, coach is heavily involved in each aspect. Um with Tennessee, I, I don't know if it's – I would like to think it's sustainable because I think kids – I think kids like that. I, I think kid, especially nowadays, everything's so specialized. Like you've got, you know, kids spending thousands of dollars a month on lessons, individual lessons. So mm-hmm. I, I think it could be sustainable in that like, hey, I'm going to go, you know, work with Frank Anderson. Like my, one of my good friends through softball played for Frank at, at U of H. Mm-hmm. And he's like, dude, Frank Anderson's the man. I, that's why I went to U of H. It wasn't because of Todd Whitting. It was Frank Anderson. So mm-hmm. I, I like to think it would be something that would be sustainable. Is that something that coach kind of leans in on? If there's, you know, you know, next year or whatever. I don't know. I, I think, like we said, it's product of his environment. And I don't. I think Skip operated like that. You know, I think Skip had his hand in every every aspect of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's it'll be interesting to see what happens with with Tennessee if that is sustainable or not. When you were, I guess, how did you end up at Pearl River, and then when did you first run into Dan McDonald? He's the guy who recruited you to Ole Miss, obviously. And then, you know, at this point, it's almost become it's almost like damn lore legend at this point. I mean, Dan's been gone like sixteen years, and yet we're still having these conversations. Obviously, for relevant reasons right now, because he'll be a a top candidate should should Mike be gone at the end of the year. But what was it about Dan? I mean, like, just in general, and then do you still talk to him? I mean, is he still the same guy in 2022? Yeah. So, I, you know, how, how everything went down, uh, my mom's from South Mississippi. Um, my dad played at Southern Miss. So, Scott Barry was the recruiting coordinator at the time. Uh, Lane, <laughs> Lane Burroughs was like the volunteer. <laughs> That's that's how long ago that was. It's been a minute, is what you're saying there, Craig. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think I saw Scott overtook uh, Corky for most wins in the program history. But yeah, long time. Yeah, yeah. So my dad played there, played with Corky. So I grew up going to Southern Miss, Southern Miss winter camps along with LSU and Tulane, mm-hmm. and I met the assistant coach at Southern Miss, and I was hitting and pitching at, the, at that camp, and then I met the head coach at Tulane and LSU's camps, and this was from the time I was probably 11 and I got to about 14 and the head coach was like, look, we see you every year. We know you, you know, we know your story. If you need a place to play, come on. Like you let us know. And uh, it's kind of funny. Like I said, I married a girl who played volleyball at Sam. I actually turned down a division one scholarship out of high school at Sam to play baseball at Pearl river. And really? it, yeah. And it was because of the, the relationship with the staff. And uh, so I went there and I was fortunate, you know, we were, we were very good at that time. I think, you know, it's division two, uh, but I think we were constantly top five, top 10. Um, John chef, who I don't even know where chef is now, if he's at Maryland still or where, but chef was at ULL 
offered me as a freshman. I had some phone calls from Clemson and stuff like that. But because of the relationship I developed with that staff at the JUCO, I was like, man, you guys committed to me four years ago. I'll stay. I'm going to stay and play another year. Ultimately, I think Coach Pineco made it. Ultimately, I was like, I want to go to LSU. I, I grew up with LSU posters on my wall. Um, and the, I want to say it was the fall of my freshman year was there was a, a hurricane either fall or my freshman year or my sophomore year. My numbers, Dan had reached out, you know, via letter and stuff like that. It was my fall of my sophomore year, but Dan had sent letters and made phone calls throughout the summer after my freshman year. And that fall of my sophomore year, there was a hurricane, uh, not Katrina. It may have been Katrina. Shit. I don't know. Uh, no, but, but it later. It was the one right before that because because you signed in December of '04, yes, or November of '04. Yeah, so I went. We had the, the, the hurricane, and basically everybody was school closed. So my sister was at Ole Miss. So I told my parents, I was like, I'm not driving to Houston. I'm just going to go up and and stay with her. So I think I reached out to Coach Mack or Coach Bianco. I was like, Hey, I'm going to be in town for the next three four days. Can I just come hang out? You know, taking an unofficial. So got to be around the team for three, four days, hung out with Bun and the pen and Coach Bianco and the pen and, you know, got to be around Lake and all that and just developed a good relationship with Mac. Like, I think his energy and the vibe he puts off is contagious. Like, the, the guy's just all about business. Like, he enjoys the hell out of being on the baseball field every day. And uh, so that's kind of how things worked out there. And then in terms of like keeping up with them, we chat. Um, I actually, when I coached on Cape Cod in 14, I had two or three of his guys. So he came up and and we got to hang out and, and talk a good bit. But um, I hadn't talked to him in a few years. Obviously, I keep up with, with Ben and watching the year Ben's have. And so I get to see him, you know, when they interview him in between innings and stuff. I think he's the same. I think he's the same person. But I think his approach bodes well with that kid that kind of needs you to be his friend a little bit. But okay. like I said, I think he, I, I've always loved Mac. I mean, I, I love the whole staff. Like when I saw, I heard coach Lake, I wasn't even watching the game. I had it off on my phone, listening to the games at Carolina. And I was like, that's coach Lake. So I texted the number I had for him immediately. And I was like, I hope he answers, yeah. but Solid stat. And then Bun is at U of H here. So Bun and I chat a little bit. But yeah, I think Max is the same, same guy for the most part. I'm sure everybody's had to adjust. But no, it's it's his his situation's been interesting there. Because what he was he was uh Omaha's first year. Mm-hmm. And then I think two years he, later. He had clinched Omaha before you guys played a game in 07 because of the way the time zones and the days right. had, had, had right. messed around and went, went in, in, in Tempe. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, the message board was hot that day. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was. It was something. But as he look, I mean, he's been so interesting at Louisville because he's turned down a ton of jobs. He's turned down Florida, Texas, Mississippi State. He had all those different things. When when Jurich was there, he was given a ton to the baseball program. Frankly, just because they wanted to win. Because I don't think Louisville started charging attendance at his games until 2018. It was free except when they played Kentucky, to go. So he stayed in a place where he knows he can win, but he hasn't elevated into that big program and that other thing. But that pro, that, that program has been, it's been good, but the school's been a bit of a mess. The city has been a bit of a mess. The athletic department's been of a mess. And that's the question is, is right. it time that he wants to go, you know what, I can reset at a moment where this is kind of a 
Right. He, he's keeping his car on the road, but there's a lot of wrecks all around him right now at Louisville. Right. No, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And it's an interesting – it's interesting to think about it. Me – I had this conversation with uh, with Schloss, not with Schloss, but with I'm back in Texas, so with AM people. Yeah. And I'll relate what Schloss did to what Max, you know, got going on. They asked me what I thought. And I was like, "There's no way in hell he leaves TCU." Where, hey, every year I'm making the postseason. Every other year I should be in a super regional. Every two, three years I should be in Omaha, and I'm making good money. I am, you know, I, and granted. TCU is a, a bigger program, but in terms of baseball prowess, the conference isn't all that great. Big 12 is all right, but it's it's like – I was like, there's no way in hell. You, he's too comfortable, meaning like I would royally have to screw up to for them to go, hey, you're done, and with how old he was. But with Mac, like, like you said, he's kind of got that similar situation in that, hey, he can dominate that conference. He absolutely can. But until how long do you allow yourself to be engulfed in flames in terms of, like you said, what's going on around him? I don't know. I, I don't know how good a blinders he has. I, he's got better blinders than me because I'd have probably already been involved in conversations of what the heck's going on. But no, yeah, that's I, I was surprised when the opportunities that came up for him were, were passed over. And that literally if you were to ask me two years ago, hey, do you think Mac would ever come to Ole Miss? My response would be no. Like, he's good. Like, he's comfortable where he's at. And then that happens the last two years or three years or whatever. And it's like, man, like, what's what's the thinking? He's in – baseball coaches in general, you know this as well as I do, for whatever reason, head baseball coaches are very loyal to the programs more than other sports. They don't jump around the same way. I mean, you know, Texas, they got turned down like six times before David Pierce gets hired in, in Austin. And Dan told me, I mean, this is several years ago when Mike was completely safe. It wasn't about Mike, but he he had the same sort of mentality of Mike as this is my program. They gave me a chance. It works. I say, yes, they're good to me in these ways, and I'm good. And he never really he, he thought, hey, the grass is not always greener. He's making a million dollars a year. I mean, his kids are in college now. I mean, one's at Ole Miss, one's at State. But at the time, they were, you know, around and different things. I know it's crazy. I'm uh, old. Yeah, no, 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 trust me. But <laughs> – Point being is that I do believe he would have taken the job last year. I'm on record saying had Mike gotten the LSU job, I think Dan was fed up with some of the COVID protocols and the lack of attendance and some things in Louisville and the area, that it was the perfect time that you probably could have gotten that done. Has that changed? I have no idea. Um, But it does seem like if there is a change, it is a deal where you make Dan say no multiple times because at some point with an AD – you're getting one of the top five, ten coaches in the country if he if he would jump the Ole Miss. And also, there's there's something, too. This is a Lane Kiffin thing. If your entire fan base wants you to hire one guy, you probably should at least call that guy and just see right. what he says. You know what I mean? There is a point of self-preservation in, 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 in capital that goes along with that. I think Dan would do a great job. Sure. I think he probably takes it, but I'll be honest, I think this year has made it a tougher decision than it would have been a year ago. Right. And then there's a difference in Mike taking the LSU job versus getting fired. Now, does that mean Dan is so loyal that he would never take it? No, but that is a different dynamic. Right. There, there's a, a added conversation if that is what happens. And that conversation is, is Coach Mack and Coach Bianco. I, I absolutely think that. You think it's that. between those two? Him I, go, think, hey, no. yeah, I, I think you, you think know. there's a permission element, for lack of a better word. 
Yeah. Hey, oh, just the courtesy. I, yeah, I, if, yeah. that were to, if that were to happen, but yeah, no. And, and, you know, I, I understand the frustration, you know, I think, I think everybody, he built this expectation of, Hey, like you go in, you've seen it, you go in and it's, you know, season expectations, 40 wins. First of all, 40 wins. That, that's an expectation that he built there and they've always for the most part achieved it so when you're struggling yeah like everybody i think is to a point where it's like okay we're we're struggling as a whole but my question i guess my question is if you know i've seen people say i'll go go offer vitelli or vitello excuse me you know the world and it's like okay well he's gonna say no i think you go offer if you run out and offer all these guys, like you said, top five, 10, you're a top five, 10 job. If you go offer all these guys, do you, and they say no, do you end up being, you know, relegated to a tier of, of coach, not saying any coach is bad or anything like that, but do you end up being relegated to a tier of coach that either A is not ready in terms of they don't have the experience, or you know, how do you how do you figure that out? Do you try to pull like Tennessee did try to pull an SEC assistant. It's man, it's such a wild situation. But yeah, I think I would be willing to bet that if you know if Mac were called, I would think there would be a phone call between him and, and Coach just to out of like I said, out of out of uh, you know that that loyalty side of things. If Ole Miss takes an assistant, it better by God be the right one. Like it, like it, like it better just be. I tell you what they have though. And this is not a shot at him because he's a friend of mine. I think they have a floor of cliff where you have a safety valve there that even if we went to hell in a handbasket, you can go get cliff. Right. And then, you know, so now let's take some shots. You take a shot at Dan or, you know, whomever you think it is. I don't know if it's Eric Backage or whatever you want to do. I mean, if you want to throw some things out there and see what that looks like and see where that goes from there. Look, if, if Mike gets fired or at this point, I expect Mike to be gone at the end of the year unless they really turn it around. It's because 22 years is a really long ass time. It's crazy, and you have nine games to go to Omaha, and you and you win one of them. Right. That's the reason. I mean, at the end of the day, that is that 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 is what it is. It's been a really long time, and they have been to eight super regionals. They've won one of them, and they've lost nine games to go to. To go yeah. to. and when you put it when you put it that way, it's 22 years. I guarantee you. Whatever happens, whether if it were, if something were to happen this year or three or four more years yeah, from now, sure. you know he'd look back and go. I think he'd have to take a step back and go, like I, I he built that. Now, granted, like the players established it, but or, or say the players helped build it, but like he established that foundation. And man, it's 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 unreal. The everything about the place is is just unbelievable, and and. You know, it starts with him. It started with him, you know, back in, like you said, 2000. But it's it's that, uh, you know, longevity also creates that toughness of a decision. Like, because mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't remember who I told, but like if something were to happen, I think it, like you can't do what like LSU has done to pulmonary. Like where it's like, hey, we want you to step aside, but you can hang out. To me, <laughs> I was talking to an LSU uh, or a Baton Rouge reporter that we both know. Um, I won't mention yeah, sure. her name, um, but he, that was a slap in the face. If I was Paul, I'd be like, cool, I'm going to go get another job in the SEC 
and I'll see you guys, you know, once a year at least. Because that dude's hanging out. <laughs> Mike like, is not going to hang out. He is not going to have a a, a, a ceremony and a, and a parade for him on the way out of town. That is not Mike Bianco. That is not what would happen no. whatsoever. Frankly, I think he would be a good fit at some SEC jobs that would come open next year. I mean, if I started doing that kind of math in my head and went, hey, his – his messaging would really work at Kentucky for a few years and kind of be a, a, a reset, a place like that. You know, and it's the hard part and the nuance that fans are so emotional. They're either pro-Mike or anti-Mike, and they only see one way. But what you mentioned is so right. He did. He elevated the program so fast. I mean, Mike was hired June of 2000. Ole Miss has had the same baseball coach since June 7th of 2000. The day before he hired was hired, he told someone to physically go through a Rolodex like a Rolodex was a thing that he needed a number from at that point. And he did. He built it. He elevated it. He quickened the process on the other side. Ole Miss obviously would have put a lot of improvements into their program over the last 20 years, no matter who the coach would have been or whatever. You know, because it's – they probably wouldn't have the thing they have now, but they wouldn't have been Alabama either. They would have been somewhere in the middle of those things. And, you know, there's a fear of – you know, well, what if we're not as consistent? Well, what if we win more? You know, do you want a Dave Perno tenure where you go to Omaha three times in eight years, but you really suck those other five years? Or do you want a consistent and a chance at the at the tournament year over year over year? And it's a it, it's a complicated, it's a weird thing. And I don't I, I don't know. Um, it's what's kind of fascinating about this is they they move toward the end of the uh, the end of the. I guess you I guess Perno was at Georgia when you were at Ole Miss. So yeah, I was trying to think through that a little bit. Yeah, that's been an interesting, uh, interesting place to watch. Like I know Strickland, uh, they're having a good year this year, but it's like, it, it, again, I think it's the expectations of the school. Yeah, Perno, you know, Perno was done in what? Um, he finished second for the title in 08 when he lost to Fresno. And he might've been there like a couple more, no, it was 09. And then a couple more seasons after mm-hmm. that. Was that, yeah. Was say, he's, been gone, he's been gone a while, but yeah, like, yeah, that's how high that expectation that, that Coach Bianco has said is, hey, we expect to be in the postseason. We expect – I think for a while there, there was an expectation of we're going to a Super Regional, now get us to home all. Mm-hmm. And now it's, you know, you can't really walk back that expectation. It, and I think as a, as a coach or somebody around the program, where you see firsthand kind of what they're dealing with, it's like, hey, man, I wish I could walk back that expectation. <laughs> like like I said, were they number one in the country? In my opinion, no. Like, not no, right. of course not. It was, it, was the, it was product of ranking mechanics. I mean, it, that, right. that's, that, that, that's what it is. Right. And, and, and that, that ranking came with, hey, we're in some people's minds, hey, we, you know, we're the best team in the country. We're, we better show up. Yeah. And like we said, you know, it's kind of. Speaking of oh, real, real quick, I just had this question popped in my head because you mentioned, I guess we mentioned Georgia, and I was thinking about Vanderbilt in 07, Who did y'all have the most irritation at opponent wise? Like you hated Vanderbilt, maybe right? We so we got into it with Vanderbilt because every year at Hoover, you're fighting with Vanderbilt in some way. There's going to be a fight because. It might right. have been 07 when uh, – or, you know, it was – never mind, you were already gone. It was 08, I think, when Matt Smith tipped his hat at Vanderbilt when he hit a home run in Hoover that that, that, that day. I want to say we played Vanderbilt in the final both years that I was there. You played the in the semis in 07, the doubleheader. That's right. That's right. And That's then right. the finals the year before. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. No, I would say I would say Vanderbilt. And then we got into it – I remember – I don't remember why. We got into it at Kentucky. Kentucky. 
But you know who was that coach there? At that point? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Cohen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, like, just – And that was their one really good year. They were great in 06. They won the league. Yeah, they had uh, – what, uh, Shelby at second. They had Calgill. Um, they had – That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had uh, the first baseman, Ryan – Whatever his name played in the big leagues, like they, yeah, they were loaded. Um, but yeah, that was <laughs> I, that was a funny, funny, you know, week leading up because that was Cohen's notorious for running the double uh squeeze where you know the guy cuts the corner at third. So, of course, we yeah, practiced yeah, yeah. how to defend that. And, and I remember like watching you were doing it and like Coglin's acting like he's tackling somebody, and it's like, what the hell's going on? Like, this is a real thing, and then we see some of the stuff that they do while we're there and it's like, okay, I get it. Like this kind of a slimy way to do things, but whatever. <laughs> well, they're playing in a park that's 270 feet to right field. So it, 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 it right. is what it is. I don't know if the new place is the same or not. They might be a normal size now, but I guess they are. Yeah. They don't have the, the porch quite as, quite as short. No, yeah, I didn't. I didn't even realize I'd made a new stadium. I built a new stadium until a couple of weeks ago. I was watching. Yeah, Kentucky them. put forty million into baseball. When Kentucky puts forty million, you know that. I, I, I will say this: Mingione was a was a pretty solid hire, in my my opinion. He's a, but I mean that's yeah. a SEC pedigree guy. Like, it, no, yeah, that's when the whole conference is making investments like that. Now it'll be interesting to see with like what a Missouri does. Like, I, mean, I don't Missouri, think they ever will. I think Missouri is going to concede it and go, we might be okay, but we're never going to be great. We're not doing this. Right. Missouri, you and I were chatting about it. Missouri, to me, is a program that you go, let's go get a bunch of JUCO guys and just grind, like guys that, you know, slept on five-hour bus rides to every game and who just are willing to grind. And I bet if, you know, I'm not saying they do that now, I don't know, but that's a spot where I think, you know, you Get a different breed of kid, you could you could have some success. I know you got a meeting come up. I'm not gonna keep you much longer. I, I will combine two topics we talked about and tell you a quick story though, because you I don't think you know this. So you mentioned Bun and softball, and on my last year at Ole Miss, he played on our co-ed intramural team because because <laughs> faculty and staff was technically allowed, and we had five females who had played JUCO college softball as our females, and then we had Bun. And for the other four dudes, it was just get the hell out of the way and don't screw it up. And it's it's like 32 to one every single like just killing people. But Kyle Bunn hitting a softball was a was a thing of of of, of it was majestic at that point. It was. It was I remember him uh I remember hearing about that because I remember I want to say he brought some softballs out to the baseball field early one day before practice. Or was he hitting a fungo? It was like hitting balls off the base of the scoreboard. Yeah, no, he I mean that that sounds scary, <laughs> and with how intense he was, like or is, that just sounds scary. But no, that's wild. I I think I remember here. It might have been he's Zach still, he, yeah, 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 yeah. He was with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's still. Uh, he, I would assume Bun's still the same dude. I hadn't talked to Kyle in years, but he. Uh, yeah, he. Uh, our our relationship has developed a good bit over the years. Um, we kind of had not had our differences. I think I was a little too uh, relaxed for him. I remember I got in trouble in the Metrodome when we played in the Dairy Queen Classic. I found a pom-pom and uh, I put it under my hat and like put my hat on. And next thing I knew, I was like, come here. What are you doing? It was like, but no, he's, uh, he comes off the same, which the, the U of H program, honestly, like that's a Juco heavy program. And then, 
you know, they get a bunch of guys from, from small high schools that you probably get overlooked and, and it's, you know, Hey, I can, I can be a little bit of a, of a hard ass on some of these kids and, and they're going to respond. But yeah, yeah I, from our conversations, he hadn't, hadn't changed a whole lot in terms of his approach. Right. Well, I appreciate it. Appreciate the time today. Let's, uh, let's do it again. Next time we're in town, look me up. Let's talk. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, Craig Rodriguez, Chase Parham, here on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Again, Ole Miss and Arkansas this weekend from Fayetteville. Uh, games Friday night, Saturday night, and uh, Sunday afternoon. I think they're expecting some weather up there on Saturday, but it's more during the day than it is at night, so it ought to be okay. The Sunday game is uh, on noon, at noon, I should say, on ESPN on the main channel, so an opportunity for um, both of those teams to get uh, national exposure on a Sunday afternoon from Fayetteville. So we'll switch gears a little bit. The NFL draft just a couple hours away. Talk uh, NFL, the Saints, NFL, Alabama, Auburn, NIL, SEC, Ole Miss, and more with my old friend Mark Heim uh, from WNSP and Mobile and also AL.com. So here's Mark Heim on the Rafters Music and Food Network. Mark Heim of AL.com, WNSP in lovely downtown Mobile, Alabama, kind enough to uh, join us here. On you the- already got a snicker on your face. You're already <laughs> laughing. We're not 10 seconds into this thing. It's been a, it's been a minute since we talked. I, I think I, I got banned from WNSP, I think because I, I ghosted Shervanian or something, and I got I got, I got got banned from, from NSP for a while. So I haven't, haven't talked to you in a bit. How you been? Uh, band's a strong word. I'm just saying uh, it was highly recommended that we uh, pick our poisons. That's all. Yeah, I'm sure. So no, we're doing well, man. How are you? It's good to, good to see you. Who do y'all get when you get Ole Miss guy on when they're getting ready to play Alabama or Auburn? What do you What do you do? Uh, we treat that week like a non-conference week. <laughs> uh, we don't really get anybody. Okay. No, I'm teasing. Uh, no, we need to get you back in the rotation for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who do we get? I'm gonna look, why don't you do it instead of him? Because he he has the old school. Um, it reminds me of when I first started covering recruiting, where you just had to blow the kid up until he finally went. Oh, for God's sake! I'll just talk to the guy. Yeah, no. Uh, he he. I think we have our schedule booked between from now till about oh, October seventeenth. Yeah. We try to get nine or ten guests a day, which is perfect because we only have twelve segments. So that means I only have to say about seventy five words a show. So it works out perfectly for everybody. Well, Actually. Uh, for your information, Brett Norsworthy is a guy that we get on from time to time to talk okay. some Ole Miss athletics. Uh, Brett's a good dude. Um, yeah, how's how's Faulkner State volleyball doing? Are they they still tearing it up? It's hard to say. The University of Mobile softball, though, you might be interested to know, is ranked number one in NAIA, sir. Is that right? How about that? How about that? Well, congratulations to them. Yes, yeah, so stick that in your pipe and smoke it. So, uh, have you been? I know that I know that your son. Um, dragged the the state's mr alabama to the state championship game i don't think they quite pulled it off but they got close thanks no thanks to him and your son your son went for like 40 and 12 or something like that in the in the final and yeah i'm not one to uh let details get in the way of a good story so let's go with that i mean alex's back is still sore from carrying the uh two-time alabama gatorade player of the year on his back uh but it was it was a fun ride and you and i were talking a little bit it's we both have kids around the same age so it's it's different as guys that kind of cover this stuff to see yeah. it from this perspective. But they had a wildly uh, huge successful year, went 30-5, and five, um, played in Legacy Arena at Birmingham, which is where the G League plays. So 
it was really cool. Did the Auburn camp and a couple other camps and got a lot of exposure. It was a lot of fun. It's a lot, a lot more nerve wracking. That's for sure. Yeah. It's funny. isn't it when you, um, you do this for a living and, and you go to a lot of games and you see a lot of games and you have to write about games and talk about games and you really get to a point where you're like, I don't care. I mean, it just doesn't, it just doesn't matter. It's another game. And, and I, you know, but when your kid plays in a game, Oh yeah. It's so different. I mean, the, 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 even like a club soccer game where they're like playing for the, you know, the gold medal game or whatever at the end, even though, you know, it, this is not going to matter within, I don't know, six seconds after it's over, you're still kind of into it because it's your kid out there. It's such a different thing. So that had to be really cool to see him playing on that stage for a, a state championship because high school basketball in Alabama gets big. Yeah. And, you know, especially here in Mobile, I mean, you mentioned your reference, Barry Dunning Jr. is signed with Arkansas. It's just an incredible class by Eric Musselman. A guy has been heavily recruited since he was a freshman. Um, there's another kid here, LeBaron Phylon, who you guys probably know has already been offered by a number of SEC schools. I think Ole Miss has offered him already as well. He's he's going to be a sophomore at Baker High School down here. So, yeah, there's some players um, for sure, and that's just in the Mobile area. Riley Leonard about a year ago, two years ago now, from Fairhope High School now, quarterbacks at Duke. Um, was just an unbelievable talent on the basketball court too. So yeah, it's 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 been fun. It's been crazy too. So Mark and I did radio together for people who are like, who is this? What's what's, what's the why are they catching like, up on old times? Well, why are they catching up on old times? Uh, Mark and I did. We worked in Mobile together for how long? Like five years, six years. Yeah, I think it was one of those. Hey, Heim, we need you to fill in for a while because you know McCready ran off yet another co-host, <laughs> and you do it just for you know just you know. For, for a little bit, just fill in. And, you know, a week became a month and a month became, I think it was like six months, a year, a year and a half. I think yeah. it was a year and a half. And then one day they were like, yeah, we, you know, that replacement. We were... Yeah, we found one. Yeah. It, so it's so funny. I always tell people this. I would go to WNSP to the people and say, Hey, you, your show's ready. It's right here. This is yeah. this, just do this. And they were so dead set on, well, we have to have somebody who's in the building and all that stuff. And, but yeah, but you don't, you shouldn't mess with this show. It's a good show. It's good. Yeah. And and they're like, I don't know. And then they go replace you with some clown who came in. I don't know who it was. I mean, <laughs> always, it was abusive what they did to me. They bring just some new dude in and go, hey, make it work. Yeah. Like, but what I had was working. Why do yeah. I have to do this now? See, there, Neil was always really good about playing the victim card too, which is, which was always I was the victim. I was yeah. the victim. I, I will say this. I will say this. If that if they go a different way, and and you and I did that show, and I don't know if this is, is, is a good thing. I guess most of your listeners would uh, would are probably relieved it didn't work out. But if that worked out, you might, in all seriousness, still in Mobile doing a very successful radio show and doing a lot more stuff for your old employer, uh, the Press Register slash AL Oh, I don't think there's any question. I mean, when we moved across the bay, I think that was our our signal. Because I remember having the conversation with people at WNSP before we did it. I was like, "Hey, look, are we good before we yeah. do this? Because I don't want to do this." And yeah, so no, we intended to stay there for a long time. We made a we we made a lot of friends down there. Um, had a we we loved it. It was it was fun. I think we were you know the kids were gonna. That was what's funny is now you see like how big Spanish Fort is and Spanish Fort High School is and stuff and when we moved over there, I mean, that was like just this building that they'd put up on yeah. this in a pasture somewhere. You know what we I mean? were in a subdivision of Daphne at that point. They just called it Spanish. Yeah. I mean, it was nothing. And now it's just a monstrosity. So good for them. 
Um, I one year when we were doing radio together. Here we go. This is what I thought about. You know, because I want to get to the Saints and stuff in a minute, but we, I think we were some of the first people who locally turned the NFL draft into months of content. Yes. On on the radio because the Saints had the second pick. Was this 2004? 2004, 2005, somewhere in there. Yeah. Saints had the second pick. The Texans had the first pick. And uh, all eyes were on uh, Reggie Bush, who was leaving USC. At least my eyes were on Reggie Bush. I thought he was a no-brainer for the Saints. Heim here had other ideas. And I think it's because, in large part, in fairness to you, the only time I'll, I'll say those words, in fairness to you, I think it's because you thought Bush was going number one to Houston. There was really no point in doing this but i i knew that it was free radio day in and day out and so we would have this in nfl debate about what the saints should do and then ironically the news broke literally we were on some remote some like i don't know some shooting range somewhere i don't know who knows where we were out in that old um remember that old trailer thing that oh yeah uh i think it was just the wnsp trailer i mean it was so uh, from a marketing standpoint, it's just genius. Just call it the WNSP trailer. But yes, I can't remember what it what it actually was. I remember it being hotter than hell some days. Yeah, there, but, yeah. Um, but we were out there on some remote from three to six, and it had to be in the five o'clock hour, or maybe it was even later than that when the news broke that the Texans were taking Mario Williams. Yeah, I think what so what happened, it was just kind of a throwaway line in the middle of the summer, right? Just I don't know who said it. You probably said it. I don't know. It's like. We're like hypothetically, rhetorically asking for a friend. Like, what if? Like, we couldn't even imagine the idea of Houston uh, passing on him. But we're like, what if um, they pass? What do the Saints do? And you were just adamant. You go get Reggie Bush. And you and I had a habit. Sometimes it was calculated. A lot of times it wasn't of just disagreeing with each other. Yeah. And we just disagreed because at the time – the Saints were just kind of a shell, right? They had so many needs. And so I was like, no, trade the pick. And, you know, there were a bunch of different guys that I thought you could get. Well, we got to the point where we were screaming at each other <laughs> on the air to the point that people were calling, like, management and thought that we truly hated each other. Yeah. And we, were, we would laugh. Just um, we would laugh at the breaks. But I remember one show, Neil, and all that, uh, we took, like, 60-plus calls in a three-hour span, which, quite frankly, to this day, at least in this market, is just really unheard of. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, there was interest there, but I think it wound up being more of an interest as, all right, what are these two going to bitch about now and how are they going to go after each other than it was that? And like you said, like, the day before, I don't, I, I think it was after the show, because I think I remember you calling me or me calling you. I think it was at a gas station. And, and it, I was like, you're not going to believe what just happened. Or I don't remember how it went. And they, I was like, or maybe we traded texts about how they traded the pick. And we just realized we had like all this more, we had all this content. Yeah. We could have gone back and done a Saturday show and, and right. done the whole thing. Cause the, the, I guess the draft at that time was the draft on Saturday. Yeah. That was the, yeah, yeah. it was night the night before the, the, the right. draft. So anyway, I mean, it was, it was one of those things. I always look back at it and, and I look back now and I think I'm right. It was kind of we were kind of cutting edge a little bit. We were having like you know like ESPN, they do these shows with Stephen A. Smith and and they used to do it with Skip Bayless and all that, all that stuff. Those argument shows, right? People are not really arguing with one another. It's TV, sure. They don't really not 
look, I, I, I find it difficult to believe that Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless and uh, Kellerman and all of those people actually have those strong, that strong of an opinion about that many things in sport right. after a multi-decade career in sport. Sure. There's, right. it's, it's not possible. Right. It's, it's generated and, and it, yeah. you know, so it, it allows them to spin off other programming and stuff. I, I wish I'd had enough foresight at the time when they were like, Hey, you guys need to dial it down. I'm like, no, you need to build off this. Right. You need to take this and let it a recording of it and turn it into a debate on your morning show. And then your midday show, right. you need to create programming that stacks on top of one another. I, I, I did not have the foresight at the time to say that. I was like, you know, we're not really mad at each other. We're just goofing around. I mean, it's, right, right. it's, good, it's good radio. And for context, for those that don't know, and I'm, if you're listening to Neil on a regular basis on, on this podcast, then I salute you. You have more <laughs> patience than me. But you all have to remember back then, as you might be able to, to kind of grasp by listening, Neil can be a little heavy handed. He can be a little bit adamant, a little passionate about certain things, whether it's the Bachelor, the Sean Alexander Mobile, and we'll explain those references coming up, or Jada versus Rachel Ray. We we got into a debate about that. We couldn't agree on that. But he was he was um were you team Jada bully? Were you team bully Jada on the air? Or team Rachel Ray? Were you Jada or Rachel Ray? Oh, Jada. 100% every yeah. day of the weekend, twice on Sunday. And you were right on that, by the way. You got um, that. Right. Clearly, I was right. Yeah, I mean, looking um, looking back, because Jada kept her A-game a lot longer than Rachel Ray did. Rachel, no Rachel, as she put the pounds on, it just, things slipped. And Jada, that, I, I will say, when Jada would chop the vegetables and stuff, I, I would think to myself, you're on the wrong side of this argument. Yeah, but to but to my point, so he was very heavy handed now, right? And so people kind of were intimidated. But what a lot of people didn't know is Neil and I were friends long before we started that show. Yeah. So I would call, I would get on that show, and I would just call BS on some of his stuff. Just and people like really liked the idea that somebody was mixing up with Big Bad Neil. For those that don't remember, Neil is half the man today that he was back then. You That's know, cool. he's the opposite of Rachel Ray. Okay, yeah. he's uh he, he's 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 done uh, consistently well with his determination to be the best Jada he could be. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Well, they would. Well, they would give me these hosts who a were unqualified, b didn't have an opinion, c weren't very good, and then it'd be like we I would have an opinion, and instead of them like coming back at it, oh, I agree. Well, that's not good radio, champ. I mean, let's. Yeah, let's, let's have a conversation. Let's let's debate a little, and then, and then they'd also have those people where you could never talk about anything outside of the world of sports, right? And it's Which like clearly hey, we don't adhere to here. Yeah, it's like you know we you can only have talking spring football for so long before you have to hey let's let's have a little fun with something else. Um, all right. So speaking of the draft, I know you're still a Saints guy. Saints have two picks tonight, sixteen and nineteen. My uh, co-host here on uh, the Oxford Exxon podcast, Chase Parham's a big Saints fan too. I asked him this morning, I said, if you heard that the Saints packaged those picks <coughs> up to go quarterback, would you be sick to your stomach or would you be thrilled? Um, I would say I would be um, – I wouldn't be surprised. It would be a very New Orleans Saints move at this point. Um, I don't know if there's a quarterback – 
I, I'd be a little disappointed based on the quarterbacks available in this year's draft. And would then, you rather them trade up for Willis at one, or would you rather Corral fall to them at two in the second round? I'd rather Corral fall to them at two, and I'd rather them – here, here's here's a take. I was talking today. I'd like to see them – I want to see what happens with Jameson Williams with Alabama. I think he was trending the right direction here in the last week, so I don't think he's going to be around. But there have been some concerns, or at least people we've talked to, about uh, attitude. I don't know if that's smoke and mirrors or what this time of year, Neil. But if he's kind of around or kind of close, does he fall to him? Probably not. But do you take those two picks? I think they need offensive tackle, and I think they need wide receiver. Do you go and take some sort of combination of picks, whether it's those first two that you have at 16 and 19 and move up to get him? It seems a little pricey. But from what I understand, he's far and away the best receiver when healthy. You don't need the guy to come right out the gate strong. They've got issues. They need offensive tackle. They lost Teron Armstead, as you know, to Miami. Uh, Kamara's got the legal issues. We don't know when he's going to be available. So you got quarterback issues because you got to see if Winston's going to be okay. So this team is not going to be a playoff contender, at least on the offensive side of the ball when the season starts. Can you somehow go 500 through six games uh, or somewhere there? thereabouts so you can be in contention for a wild card maybe chase tampa uh and then have jameson williams ready to be that guy we don't know what michael thomas is we don't i haven't heard status is that dude hadn't laced him up in over a year but he to me he would be dynamic opposite michael thomas that's why i'd love to see him go i don't see it happening i think they probably stay with their picks and go some variation of offensive tackle and wide receiver yeah that's what that's what chase thinks too i think I think both of y'all are right. I'm curious because the 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 NFL comes to Mobile for that week in, yeah. of the Senior Bowl. Malik Willis was there. He had a big week. Pickett was there. I think he had a pretty big week. I'm sure you got a chance to at least see those guys, maybe even talk to those guys. Yeah. What were your in-person impressions of the quarterbacks who were there? Well, they're all, you know, it's, it's a lot different than you were down here, right? They're all so well-groomed for the interview process and saying the right things. And I'm kind of like you. I'm not one of these guys that's going to sit there and break down their stances and their, their throwing yes. motions. I think Malik Willis certainly uh, was the quick, hottest, hottest prospect. He, he, his stat, his uh, stock rose tremendously uh, from the very beginning of his pre-draft process. And it started in, in Mobile. And went through, but you know there was that whole video of him helping the homeless. Uh, I think it was a woman giving him a giving her a T-shirt right outside the combine, like all that type of stuff that you talk about character, right? He's got a cannon for for a gun, like or for an arm. I think all of that stuff he just kind of he just kind of blew up. So I think he's the guy, the first quarterback taken. Does that mean he's going to translate into a good NFL quarterback? I have no idea. I think he's got the tools to do it. Kenny Pickett, I mean, now we're, we're looking at hand size and like Roger McCreary at Auburn, they're talking about his arms are too short to place defensive back in the NFL. And because of that is draft stack stock is going to fall. Truth of the matter is the kid's a ball or kid can play. Yeah, you've got um, all this SEC film on him that you've seen him right. go up against the Jamison Williams and Traylon Burks and, you know, Dontario Drummonds of the world. He's going against all these different kinds of receivers throughout the SEC. You know what he can do. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and he's – I mean, and then he puts out – now, Jameson put out that kind of workout video, so clearly he's ahead of where he needs to be with the whole ACL thing. I think someone's going to snatch him up pretty early. Um, maybe uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm got to be top 10. Now, I'm going to be a little pissed if he gets past 10 and we're at that 10, 11, 12. I know Philly 
is probably looking at him and they're at 15. They're just going to steal my thunder uh, if he's there. And, you know, and then we'll have to write about how Jalen Hurts and Jameson Williams are on the same team and Devontae Smith. And we'll do that whole thing. Meanwhile, my Saints will be sitting there lacking a wide receiver. We were taping this hours before the draft starts. Um, so some people will actually, oh, yeah, a good call. some people actually uh, will hear this after the draft has happened. If, and so if Corral goes first round, great. This is a, a question that doesn't matter, but it seems to be the, the trend, at least right now, that he's probably not going in the first round. Yeah. Um, you've watched him. You cover SEC stuff. You see him play Alabama and Auburn and other people. Are you surprised that we're having this, this conversation? Yes. In fact, it was one of the things I, I made a mental note to ask you about because during the season, that's all we, that's all we heard about, right, was how he was as, as NFL-ready as anybody and look at all of his positives and, and all the things that he can do. And all of a sudden, it just kind of fell off a cliff. Like, we didn't hear about, you know, Matt Corral. Uh, I mean, we were talking about him being the first quarterback taken. It was it, at one point in the season, it was a no-brainer. Like, there was no reason. Like, I don't want to say he was Trevor Lawrence, but that count, it was kind of it was kind of trending that way. Like, it was a no-brainer. There's really not much more discussion to have. Um, so, I was as baffled. Yeah, I, I love his uh, field awareness, his pocket presence. His ability, his uh, his mobile ability to get out and, and extend plays—not just run, but extend plays. Um, I think for the most part, he makes the right reads, and uh, I think he's fairly—I think he's pretty accurate. I mean, I think he checks all the boxes. So you tell me, Mister, you know, Ole Miss, what, what's shaking? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's it's a it's a couple things. Um, the end of that Tennessee game, you know, he had a two-game stretch. Ole Miss did uh, where they played two dramatic. SEC games against Arkansas and then Tennessee where um, Matt was the difference in the game. I mean, I've said this, you know, if, if Matt's not perfect against Arkansas, Ole Miss loses. Uh, Arkansas scored 51 points and had, I don't have any yards. I mean, KJ had a big day for them. And, um, you know, Ole Miss couldn't get them off the field either. And Corral was just so good. It had to be, had to be maddening for uh, Sam Pittman and Kendall Browse and them that day. But, you're playing as well as you can play offensively, and you just can't you can't put him away. Yeah. Um, but then the next week, Ole Miss couldn't get the passing game going in Knoxville, and so Corral just does it with his feet. But at the end of that game, he got hurt. And I think that was red flag one was, okay, he runs too much. So he ran 30-something times that night. Yeah. Um, and then he wasn't the same, and he tried to, the Auburn game. He, you know, he ro- rolled the ankle again came back and, and played, but and then he goes into the Sugar Bowl and he hurts it again. And so I think the injury thing comes up with, hey, he's because he's not a huge guy. What's interesting is that he's he and Willis are not there's not a lot of size difference. No. Um you know he's not a huge guy. I think that's that's something they 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 try to pick him apart. He's got some stuff in his past, but it's way in his past. Like the thing with Gretzky's kid. That was a he's a high schooler at that time. I mean he's matured since then. Um, I just think it's, I just think it's a collection of stuff. I've said this, and you know what I'm about to say because we, we, you follow the league, and you know a bunch of guys, and you guys have NFL guys that come on all the time. I think when someone like Corral, who doesn't check all of the NFL boxes, when he's not the six foot four, yeah, you know, he's not the the uh, Allen in Buffalo, right? Where you look at him and go, oh yeah, yeah, that's an NFL quarterback. Yeah. You know, he's not Eli Manning or something where you look at him and he's at all the measurables and you're like, I'm not worried about it. It's good. When when you have someone that doesn't check all those boxes, I think they just start to pick them apart. 
I, I think it's it's you know you're you're dating a girl and you start to feel like it's just not what you want really and you start all of a sudden the mold that she's got right here you just you can't stop looking at it and all of a sudden you just don't like the way her voice sounds and you just you start picking it apart right and i think that's what's happening with with corrals that they're picking them apart the truth is though and i've been saying this on the pod, I mean, whether you, you might disagree with me here whether it's thursday night or whether it's friday night once he gets drafted it doesn't matter anymore it it literally never matters again because he's going to get an opportunity to go to a training camp he's going to get an opportunity and probably get a new chip on his shoulder and fuel and all of that stuff. He's going to get an opportunity to go to a training camp. He's going to make an NFL roster. He's going to be inside an NFL building all next season, whether it's in new Orleans or Seattle or wherever the case may be, he's going to get every opportunity in the world to prove every doubter wrong. So it really won't matter. And if he, it frankly, for some team, if he's as good as I kind of think he's going to be, some team's going to really benefit because not only are you going to get a quarterback, but you're going to get a quarterback at either at the end of the first round or somewhere in the second round where you're going to get to pay on the rookie scale. You're going to have a lot of money to work with, to surround him with, where you know he could be not comparing him to Russell Wilson, but he could have a Russell Wilson sort of trajectory where you get to win at a pretty high level and then your, your second contract's where you make up your money. I would agree with most of what you said with one caveat. I, I think it only matters if it doesn't work out with that first opportunity. You know what I mean? So if whoever drafts him and it doesn't go his way, people are now talking, the talking heads are talking about, hey, it didn't work at, you know, franchise X. And this is why. Look at all the things we talked about yeah. while he was yeah. getting drafted. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that stigma will carry with him until, like you were saying, he gets to a point where he kind of proves some folks wrong. I just didn't want to say, yeah, I agree. No, that's a good point, though. You're right. When, you, when you're not, you know, like if you're Mitch Trubisky and you're drafted second. Right. You you do, I guess it does, that did factor into him getting another opportunity, right? And, you know, and he goes, he go, latches on to Buffalo, and, and now he's going to get an NFL opportunity to start again. You're right. If he like, falls to the middle of the second round and things just sort of go lukewarm, all that stuff does kind of pop up. I, I just – I just think Matt's going to be a good pro. I always, always have. I, I, I think he does too. But it's it's to it's it's a little apples to oranges thing here. But look at a guy like uh, someone you and I can remember, like an AJ McCarron. Not that he was nearly high, as highly regarded as yeah. what we're talking about here. Yeah. But he gets drafted, and he's had all these opportunities. But no one's ever saying, "Wow, that guy's going to be a starter one day." You know what I mean? It's 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 like that. He's never been able to get over that hump. So he's had multiple opportunities. And look, looking back, uh, he's going to have a great career, right? He's going to get paid millions of dollars for, for, for holding a clipboard, and he's going to have all his faculties about him when he, yeah. when, he, when he finishes, right? So all in all, that's a pretty good career. But the dude's never going to be a starting quarterback. Now, is that because, hey, go back and look at his draft profile, Um no, no, but I, it goes to the point that we were talking about, you know, once you get that opportunity, you can kind of make your profile, for lack of a better term, what, yeah. what you wanted. And he's just never been able to do it. Yeah, no, but he's, he's had a, he's had a, a good career. I, I think, I do think somewhere in the back of people's minds, they look at Corral and they go, you know, how good of a, how good of a, soldier will he be if he's the backup 
Yeah. You know, how will, will he be? He's got a reputation, I think, a little bit in some NFL circles that I don't think is particularly fair, but it's what the NFL does. They they will until you prove a label wrong, you kind of get labeled a little bit. And I think he's got a little bit of, you know, like volatile and stuff like that tagged to him that maybe some of the others don't get. It's like Chase was asking about the Wonderlick today, and I said, you know, if you if you're trying to convince yourself that this is not the guy to go take the 15 on the Wonderlick is something else you can use to go see see that's another example and the flip side is if you want the guy and you think hey this is the guy you go the Wonderlick's stupid I'm not worried about that right. and you know and so you can make your argument kind of either way is is Jameis by himself can he get can he is Jameis a, a, a playoff quarterback can Jameis take a New Orleans team, if you give him some weapons as good as they are on defense, is Jameis good enough to get the Saints back into Super Bowl contention? That's a big question there. Yeah. Based on the small sample size that we had under Peyton, and again, Sean Peyton's gone, so you got to wonder how different is this team going to be. Now, they promoted from within, so I think for that reason, right, to keep some consistency, keep some guys there that already know the system and know what you're after. I, what were they, six and one, six and two before before we got injured? So he was I playing mean, well. The, the, the small sample size says yes. There's still a very large sample size out there in other places that would say yeah, otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, as a New Orleans Saints guy, you learn to be cautiously optimistic at the very, very, very best. You won a Super Bowl because my boy Reggie took you to one. Yeah, Reggie was the reason we won that Super Bowl. Whatever helps you sleep. Was Reggie Bush on that team? Oh, here we go. Yes, Reggie Bush. Was the Brickishaw Ferguson on the Saints team that won the Super Bowl? He was not. Right? He right? was not. Did, but did, imagine the record did, did had the Brickishaw the to the Super protecting Bowl? the blind side. How, how many Super Bowls did the Jets win during his career? Hmm. How many Super Bowls did the Dolphins win? Dan Marino was quarterback for that franchise. Well, they made it to one. But did they win it? No, but they made it. Okay, so now <laughs> the expectation is different. You just have to make it now? It all kind of depends on what you need your argument to say. And and for the yeah, exactly. This is why we used to argue all the time. And for the record, he always he's like me now. He doesn't let details get in the way of a good story. We weren't talking about DeBrickashaw and Reggie straight up. There were going to be a number of picks. I think like D'Amico Ryan's, if I I don't know. There's like two or three. There was a linebacker. I think it was Ryan's that was yeah. that I was like, go get DeBrickashaw and D'Amico. Um, but whatever. I mean, you're gonna think what you're gonna think, and I'm not gonna change your mind. And Reggie Bush has a ring. It says Saints on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Okay. Good for you. Hey, uh Saban. Switch to the college game a minute. Nick Saban, he's been complaining a lot about NIL. Um, Subtle, saying things, but I'm always always interested when Saban talks about something big picture because he's won, what, 13 or 14 titles in the last 10 years or something. And so there's, I mean, if he never wins another game, his legacy is preserved. He's, He's good. So... When he talks, and look, I know he's super competitive and he wants to win another one, and it's some, some of it is self-serving, but not all of it is self-serving. When he talks about NIL, what, what's the reaction that you have when you hear him talk about it? Is this his – is he sending a message to the Alabama fan base? Is he just talking about the sport in general? 
I think what he's doing, and it re- your reaction to what he says really depends on what your allegiance is and where you are in this country. Like a lot of what you know what me, I am one hundred percent Auburn fan. So I mean, right, I, right. I, yeah. This week, this week, Neil so We know you're anti-Alabama, and no matter yes. where you live, you're anti-Alabama. Yes. So, but I think what what he does from time to time, yes, he's absolutely self-serving, and he talks to his players through the media, and and he and he's and he's he's always done that. But I think as he's gotten. Uh, on these hot button issues, I think what he's doing is he's he's talking to the realities of the college football game, the game of college football and what's best for college football. He will go on record and say, like, he did this with the hurry up and the tempo stuff, right? And then he's doing it with NIL. He even did it with the transfer portal. Yeah. And, 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 and he talks about scheduling and how we should play, you know, all division ones and all we should do so many conference games. So he's going to tell you what he believes is best for college football. And basically what he's saying is, if you're not on board with this college football, if you're not going to make what I say happen, then I'm going to show you exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm going to go get the NIL deals. And I'm going to go get the transfer portal guys. And I'm going to run the up-tempo, hurry-up stuff. And I'm going to show you that I don't want it to be like this. But I'm going to show you why it's not best for the game. And in most of those situations, NIL, transfer portal, I think what's what the intent of those rules is, is to help other conferences, other teams, non-power fives. And what he's saying is, dude, it's just going to make the rich richer. And I'm going to prove it to you. Watch. And look what he's done on the portal. Look, I mean, the, the transfer portal is we thought was going to be an idea where little Neil wasn't happy, wanted to be closer to home so he could transfer without penalty. And what's happening is mid-major Neil now has two years of tape. Now he can get a spot on some power five and and power fives are like, yeah, let's do this. And high school kids are getting screwed. And same with the NIL. NIL was supposed to be little Neil making money off his name, image and likeness with Rodane or whatever it is, uh, whatever fat busting system you're using today. And what's happened is, well, Neil's a member of the, you know, Ole Miss offensive line. And now we're giving everybody that's on the offensive line for Ole Miss 10 grand. Well, that's not what that was supposed to be, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and so I, and it, that's a long-winded answer to say he's going to show you where he's right by proving it to you by winning the way you want everybody else to play. So when you hear Billy Napier talk about $20 million is the right number, that story's out today, Uh, the the talk about Texas A&M, and I know Jimbo pushes back, and maybe Jimbo's telling the truth. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. But you hear the numbers about $25 million for a signing class and stuff. Is Forget the Alabama part of this or the Auburn part of this. Just you've been around college football a long time. Does your gut tell you that is sustainable, or does your gut tell you that we're in for one hell of a market correction somewhere down the road? Part of me thinks it's sustainable. I mean, really? look okay. at, I mean, I mean, the money, money go, that we went through that whole facilities upgrade, right? Uh, as these TV contracts continue to go up, and we find these other middlemen that we call what are we calling them now? We're not calling them companies. But I, I don't know. Thank you, collect. Mm-hmm. I mean, the money's going to be there. It, it generally only takes what a couple of high-ranking boosters to make that happen. I. Will it peak? I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe I just contradicted myself because the arms race kind of fell off a little bit, right? We're not really talking so much about that as much anymore. So maybe at some point, but I see for the foreseeable future, I mean, what's, 
what's 25 million to, and I don't mean to bring Auburn back into it, but sure. Auburn just spent how many millions on a whole coaching chain? Just right. I so mean, the question to me is like, if I'm, if I'm running one of these departments, if I'm a, a, a AD or a CFO or whatever at one of these places, the question I have is in the SEC, they, they know the TV money is going to be outrageous here soon when Texas and OU join and, I'm of the opinion the league's going to expand again because I think the the I think the line of of schools that are going to look at the SEC and say, hold up, Mississippi State's getting what a year? Yeah, yeah. And I think they're going to say, well, I, I don't, I don't see how we justify not joining that league. And as long as ESPN goes, hey, as long as we approve, we'll just add more pie. We're not going to divide the pie. We're just going to make a bigger pie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. As long as as long as ESPN says that, to me, it's 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 literally a matter of time until I always use USC as an example. And maybe it's not USC. Maybe it's UNC. Maybe it's Virginia. Maybe it's Miami. Hell, I don't know. But whoever, someone's going to pick up the phone and go, "If we committed to come, would you make more pie?" Right. You know, and I, and I think the league just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and there's more and more money. I almost distracted myself in my old age. Um, I think as long as you do that, if you can take the TV money and use that as the basis for your all your operations and such, where you now, instead of t- begging people to donate for more facilities and all that stuff, you're like, hey, just donate to the collectives so we can right. continue to get the players so that we can. If they do that, then maybe it's maybe it is sustainable. But if the arms race continues, in addition to all this, I just think at some point there's a breaking point, right? I, I don't like I don't think Ole Miss, for example, is ever going to get to a place where it can raise twenty million dollars a year for NIL. I don't I, I don't think that's I think that's a fantasy. Well, and then you know, to your point, what happens when you're getting such high profile talent that you're funneling all that money to collectives for those, those, those athletes, Arch Manning, for example. I mean, I'll, I'll throw Arch Manning out there. Everybody's clamoring sure. to see what Arch is going to do, right? How much could that dude potentially make a year in NILs, and how much of that will, how much of that alone detract from what Ole Miss, Alabama, Texas, whatever school you want to use? How much of that is going to detract from what you need that money to go to, which is facilities and all that kind of stuff? So, from that perspective, I. I I see where you're going with it, right? I mean, at some point, I mean, there's only so much money to go around. So we think as as salaries continue to rise and NIL deals continue to rise, but um, that's my big, and my biggest, my biggest problem with NIL in addition to that and not actually making money off your individual name, image, and likeness is now it's filtering into high schools, right? We already have some states that are doing it. Louisiana just recently got it. And to your point there, I think what's going to happen, and I don't mean to shift gears so suddenly on you, but with high schools, and I've asked some high school coaches around here in Mobile, so what happens if they pass it here? You know, what? Ha- so what if the local mom and pop store says, you know what, I'm not going to donate to your booster club this year. I'm going to give to little Johnny who runs a 4-2 and scored 10 touchdowns last year. Well, you, I mean, you, your son, I mean, Alex was playing with a star. I mean, right. I mean, he was being recruited by a lot of people. So what happens if, if that passes when he's still there at McGill-Tulin? And someone says, well, I don't really care about sponsoring McGill Tulin necessarily, but right. I, I wouldn't mind getting my name attached to uh, – is, is it Dunning? Is that his name? Yeah, Dunning, yeah. I wouldn't mind getting my name attached to, to Dunning. 
Right. No, and that's my point. So now all these programs are losing money. And so I put it in the, uh, in, in, in the framework of a high school, but take any small or, or non-Power 5 school that has to pay that money. So I guess to some degree, I'm starting to agree with you a little bit here that where does all that, I guess, where does all that capital that you need to generate and, and, and run your athletic department, where does that come from if it's all going to some five-star that may jump in the portal tomorrow? Yeah. Um, you still hear me, right? Yes. Okay, my ear pods. Were I mean, I hear you. I'm not listening, but I hear you. My ear pods were trying to connect. Um, yeah, so it, it it's uh, – I, I just don't know where I don't know where it goes. I, I think the other thing that I'm interested in is what happens when some some of the high profile kids and this happens all the time when you give the collectives put all this money into landing, you know, Johnny five star and then he busts. Right. You know what what happens when that kid doesn't work out, you know, on a consistent basis? I guess you find I think for the coaches, it makes recruiting your your evaluation and stuff. It's even more critical now because there's there's reputations that get attached to it, right? If, if um, you know, Heim Mercedes is the, you know, the NIL guy behind who the, the kid that's, that's the quarterback at Auburn because the Auburn coaches were like, hey, that's who we want. We want Johnny Five Star. And all of a sudden, Johnny Five Star can't get on the field. Well, Heim Mercedes is going to be a little pissed off. I mean, they're, 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 they're not going to want to keep – they're not going to want to do that the next time. Or in the, in the flip side of that is, does does a coach now feel pressure from those companies saying, hey, we're paying, you know, Johnny Five Star $100 million in NIL deals. Why isn't he on the field? And now 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 you're now you're playing that whole game with boosters and, and, and the difference between potentially wins and losses. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people that think Bo Nix, the reason <laughs> Malik Willis left is because Bo Nix, because of it, Bo Nix is the only reason he was on the field for Auburn was because of his last name and the legacy at Auburn, right? That he wasn't even the best quarterback on, on, on that on that campus. Uh, and as it turns out, Malik Willis uh, left, and now uh, and uh, and now Bo Nix is gone. Yeah, well, for sure, that's that's exactly kind of what I'm talking about. Um, are, you mentioned we mentioned Auburn a little. I'm, I've I've kept you for a pretty long time. I'm curious here. Two things: one with with Alabama. I hear people say this is the best team Alabama's ever had. This is going to be this historically great team. The over-under is 11 and a half and take the over. Um, and then with Auburn, I hear the opposite, which is, oh, it's going to be a disaster. Um, so it's kind of a twofold thing. Do you buy the hype on, on Alabama? I kind of do. And then with Auburn, are you like me where I'm a little skeptical of the pessimism? I'm like, hey, I, I, every time someone tells me that a team like that's going to be that bad, they're better. Yes. So, and you know, Auburn as well as anybody, although it's been a while, I mean, you covered them, but yes, I think that whole thing about whether or not they're, you're bringing back Brian Harson after year one. And there was, they were talking about buyouts and there was clearly a segment of that Auburn family or whatever you want to call them that wanted them out. I mean, there's some dis- serious dysfunction going on there. Right. And to me, my question is if, if I'm Brian Harson, the, do I want to be at a place where I'm clearly not wanted? All right. He had a huge buyout waiting for him, but to his, I guess, credit says, you know what, I'm going to be here and I'm going to make this work and I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And so they're, 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 they're stuck with him now for better or for worse. And obviously year one didn't turn out the way they had hoped it would. 
but clearly there's there's some baggage there, right? There's going to be some hurt feelings and no one truly completely understands and comprehends the inner dynamic of the Auburn family. Uh, you probably have a pretty good idea because you covered it for a while, but it's, I've never seen another program on the national level conduct its inner turmoil in the public eye quite like Auburn. It really is. Um, it's a talent. It is a, they have a flair for the dramatic in such a way that as a radio show host in Alabama, I thank the college football gods almost every season. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, that's my bad. That's all right. I'm not even near my phone. Sorry about that. That's all right. Probably, probably some agent. It's Lee's flip phone actually calling me. Was he'll just keep, no, it wasn't. But, you know, if he, if he actually funny, we should get him. I should have him on the phone and speaker phone him. That would be hilarious. But I'll, there's probably some legalities there. At least still operating a flip phone, right? Didn't he? It's a true story. Uh, he does indeed. In fact, I tweeted out a picture of him. Like he's got these really old sweatshirts that he wears like every day because, you know, he's 80 or whatever it is and it's 80 degrees in mobile. So why wouldn't you wear a sweatshirt? Right. So I've been documenting all his sweatshirts, uh, you know, all the variations of the mobile bowl and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, I know your listeners are just sitting on the edge of their seats. How old is Shavania now? He's been doing, he's been down there forever. Yeah. 75 uh, ish. Is that right? I do. Basically, I do a, a radio show with my father every day. That's basically what it comes down to. <laughs> Imagine doing this podcast with your dad, which is probably cool, probably would be fun once or, you know, every once in a while. I, my dad's come on my radio show. I don't have him on every day. Yeah. Lee's pretty set in his ways. We uh, we don't do the Port City Pacer Report anymore. That's been gone for a while. The Middle Eye Golf Report is still very part of our uh, – of our show. Are y'all still doing talking football and talking spring football? Get you some. Yeah, actually, we do. Uh, with uh, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. And oh, it's the uh, same people. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't mean to deviate. Sorry for the interruption. Alabama, on the other hand, no, I think I think you have to consider them the favorite in the uh, in the SEC. And that would uh, – Which makes them favorite nationally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look uh, – and we talked about the whole transfer portal, and, and and he's making it work. He's bringing in guys like this Tyler Harrell kid from Louisville, um, yeah. the speedy wide receiver, apparently faster than Jameson Williams. I mean, I, you know, okay. Um, Jermaine Burton, um, uh, the kid from the Georgia Tech running back. I mean, they just keep bringing in – they can pick and choose who they want. Yeah, no, he's um, he's done an incredible job. I, I, I do sometimes wonder, just based on things I've heard, if – it won't affect Saban, but I wonder if Saban's replacement down the road can compete. Because I don't know that Alabama has that kind of NIL resource, like to keep up with Texas and Texas A&M and Florida and, and the, the big money. I do, I do wonder if it makes it even more difficult for whoever his successor is at Alabama. Well, you know, and I've said this for years. I might even say it when we were on the show together. Like, don't be the guy that follows the guy. Be yeah. the guy that follows the guy that follows the guy. Yeah. Right? Don't be Ron Zook, <laughs> be Urban Meyer. Uh, you're just set up to fail. And I think everybody likes to talk about Dabo Sweeney and all that kind of stuff. But, man, we're pretty far removed from that whole connection to Alabama at this point. And he's built himself. Now, he didn't have a great year last year, but he's kind of built himself quite the legacy at Clemson. Um, everybody just kind of assumes when mama comes calling that 
these guys are going to pick up and come running. Uh. Yeah, I, I don't know that I buy the Dabo thing anymore. Number one, I don't know that Saban's leaving anytime soon. I mean, they're certainly telling Arch Manning that they're not leaving anytime soon. No, that's part of the recruiting thing. But, you know, I, I hear people say, well, wouldn't it make sense if they have this big season with Bryce Young and, you know, Bryce is going to leave, obviously, after this season because, duh. Yeah. And and wouldn't it be, wouldn't this be the perfect time to walk away? And I'm like, well, it depends on who you are. Yeah, if you're the guy that the idea of hanging out on the beach for 340 days is appealing, then sure, that would be the perfect time to walk away into the sunset. But I don't know that Nick Saban's the guy that walks away and does the ESPN game day thing for a while and allows himself to just be the grandfather of college football. I don't think he views himself that way. And I don't think, I, I frankly, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's more likely that he coaches another five or six years there. I, I do too. And I've said for years, you know where he would really make just com- total bank. I've said for years, he should be, he should retire and be a college football consultant. Bring me in for six months, a year, whatever the contract is. And I'm going to show you how to build your football program. I mean, there are hundreds of football programs from sea to shining sea. They'd line up. You could go in there and just say, here, here's a detailed plan. This is how you should do it. But I think he wants to compete on Saturday. Oh, there's no question. And so I I think that's the problem with that. Yeah. I mean, he he would be – he'd be a superstar on ESPN if he filled in for, say, Corso or whatever. I mean, you know, everybody would would want to watch that, to hear what he had to say about this and that. And I think Saban would be really good at it because he's pretty much really good at anything. But you don't get to compete. Yeah. On Saturday, that show ends at eleven o'clock, and then other people start competing. And I, I, I don't think he would enjoy standing on the sideline, watching Texas and Oklahoma play each other at, at State Fair Stadium in Dallas or whatever. I, I just think he'd lose his mind. So I, I don't, I don't think that's where it goes. You, you've got New Orleans ties. I promise we're almost done. You've got New Orleans ties. What, what do you, uh, what do you hear on Arch? What's your gut feeling? Man, has there ever been a recruit, any recruit? where getting information just like lists has been so difficult to do. I mean, you hear like Clemson was like the, the, the front runner, like real early, like that's like, it was a foregone conclusion. He's going to Clemson. Right. But you know, Alabama kind of took a lead there over Georgia for like, I don't know, 15 minutes. And then Texas and that coaching staff, man, I don't know. I, I think, I think, I think it's Texas and, and, and Alabama and, I don't. I, Clemson's in the rearview mirror. Clearly, yeah, they're, they're out. I think. I think. I, just, it's, I think it's Texas. Yeah, it's a gut feeling I get. Although there is something about Alabama that just hangs around in that deal yeah. that makes you go, well, maybe. And you know, suddenly we're all counting Georgia out. And for the longest time, it was always going to Georgia. He's definitely yeah. going to Georgia. He loves Athens. Blah blah blah. And so maybe it's. I don't know. They've done a really good job of kind of keeping it. Yeah, keeping yeah, it I mean, really quiet. Um, and I don't. It might be because he just doesn't know. I guess that's conceivable. Or there's stuff he wants to watch in the coming season. Maybe he wants to see what Ewers looks like at Texas. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. and maybe it's an NIL deal where they're still waiting for all of those details to get turned out. I don't know. How has he not been uh, a guest on the Manning Megacast yet? Arch. Yeah. Like, yeah well, that would be gold. That would be gold, and maybe they do it next year. My guess is that they are still trying to protect him Yeah, to a degree. It would be hilarious him just going after both Peyton and Eli. 
I mean, that, would be, that would be that would be yeah that would be fun what, hey what's your perspective from there like w- watching lane kiffin and the transfer portal and all that stuff i mean do you, what's your just kind of your thoughts no I, I look i've been a huge lane kiffin fan i mean i and i told you from the get-go when he first took that job man life is good for neil mccrady and anybody that covers that old miss uh that, that 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 football program i love what he's doing it's and it's not a slight at Ole Miss. It's simply a question: Can you compete? It's the question we've always asked about Ole Miss in Arkansas and Mississippi State. Can you compete in the West year in and year out against the Alabamas and now the Texas A and M's? Yeah. Can you do that? I mean, the 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 level of expectation is almost the same. I mean, it's title or bust, but can you realistically compete like that every year? And I think the answer is no. I mean, I think it's proven that the answer is no. Uh, so what is, I mean, the question, I'll turn the question back to you. What is, what is the Ole Miss faithful find acceptable? Is it being in the running for a West division title once every three or four years? Not anymore. Not if every year. Not if you're going to pay the coach seven and a half million dollars. Yeah. You know, if you're paying a coach top 10 money, I think the expectation is to compete. Yeah. You know, I don't, I, I don't think it's, hey, go win the national championship. I don't think it's that. I, but I, I think it's to be in position where when Alabama stumbles, you, you're there to capitalize. You know, and, and I still like the way Lane Kiffin, I don't mean to cut you off, I still like the way Lane Kiffin teams match up against Alabama. He's got that, yeah. that, that I don't know what that is, that, that special ingredient. I mean, I love, look, I love Kiffin. I love when he tweets. I like when golf balls get thrown at him. I like when he throws the golf ball out at the first pitch. Like, yeah. he is a marketing genius. Absolutely. And you know what? He's also an unbelievable play caller. So, yeah, uh, if, if I'm an Ole Miss fan, I'm just – I'm psyched about every season that he's He's, he's both of those things, and he's turned out to be very, very good at the portal. The question I have, and I, it's kind of full circle on the, our whole conversation really, is if – if the numbers are true, right? If 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 Florida can can raise twenty million a year, if Texas can truly put a twelve million dollar NIL package together for a quarterback, I don't care if his name's Manning or not. Right, right. If if you can do those things, if you're a program that let's say can only put together five or six million a year, which Kane Womack would kill for five or six million dollars sure. of NIL, right? I mean, it's, that's that's not a that's not a slap, but if that's your limit. Can you compete consistently, you know, and or are you the Pittsburgh Pirates where you've got to prepare for a certain year and you got to everything's got to line up right? I don't know. I, I, I've said this a bunch, Mark, here when people ask me and when we talk about it, I feel like we're watching an experiment in real time and we don't really know how it's going to play out. And I don't I don't think all these markets have been established. You know, A&M can raise twenty five million one year. But what if what if they don't win? And, and I and I think the frustrating part about it, Neil, is that, like, didn't we all kind of see this coming? Like, and there was no effort by the NCAA, whoever the NCAA is. I mean, it, this is exactly what we thought it was going to be. We may have not thought that we were putting together ten and twelve and twenty million NIL deals for individual players, but we knew the rich were going to get richer, and that this was going to turn into uh, um, a recruiting tool, and the, and and those that could. The, those that could have and want need will continue to, to get what they want and need. And the little guy, which this was kind of trying to help, is the one left in the in the, in the dark. I mean, it's yeah. exactly what we thought it was going to be. And, and maybe because it came out at a time when the country was really politically charged. 
Yeah. Nobody, everybody, everybody was afraid to go, hey, you know, we probably ought to put some limits on this. We probably ought to put some guardrails up. But we were in a in a era where, oh, that would have been viewed as, as um, I don't know, just anti-little guy. Some people might have even said racist. I mean, who knows what the words would have been if you'd said, hey, we this is good. I want the players to get paid. But instead, there's no guardrails. Yeah. And you just like sent the car down the road and <laughs> we there's yeah. no brakes, there's no there's nothing, and somebody's just steering it around and you're just going, Oh wow, look, it's going faster and it's going faster. And some people are like it's gonna crash, and other people are like, No, it's not, it's just gonna keep going really fast. I don't know the answer. I have no idea. I I think some form of a crash that corrects it is inevitable, but yeah, maybe I'm uh, right now it's the wild west and we wonder how how different how di- I guess and this is the question we'll never have the answer to, but how different is what we're doing now than what colleges have always done under the table? We just haven't seen or heard about. I'm obviously the numbers are different, but it's the same kind of deal, right? Yeah, I just don't think corporations would have gotten as in you know like yeah. I mean, I know specifics in, in, uh, <laughs> in certain places. I don't. The numbers were never like this. Right. I mean, you know, there was there was never like and look, all of Nico Iamaliva's deal at Tennessee is not guaranteed. I mean, eight million is the max. That's if every if, if he according to I've talked to people who've seen the contract. If if he checks every box, if he does everything, if every if every media opportunity and every promotional opportunity is capitalized on, he gets eight million. But in the black market, he would have never gotten eight million. Yeah. No chance. And so it's, it is totally different. And, and look, I'm all for Nico getting his money, but there are there are ramifications. Yeah, no, back in the day, he would have gotten a McDonald's bag full of cash. Yeah, he would have gotten a bag full of cash, and then people would have taken care of him on campus with the way that they do now, where suddenly his, you know, his, his refrigerator on Sunday would magically be full. And that's cool. I mean, whatever, you know, but but now it's a different deal, and, and you're wanting it, you're asking for it up front and some of that stuff, and, and it it's – it's got athletics people going, hey, man, this is not sustainable. And maybe they're right. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I kept you long enough. I appreciate uh, appreciate your time. It's good catching up with you as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, listeners, I, I apologize. This is what happened when Neil and I get together. We just start rambling and talking about all sorts of nonsense. Some of it's sports. Some of it's not. But tell Laura and the kids I said, hey, and uh, it's good to talk to you. Oh, you're going to. I was waiting for you to say tell Laura and my kids that, that you said, hey. But No, I was trying to leave on a positive note. But, um. Carson knows. He can just he can just first of all he's got athletic ability. That's your first clue. So you've got one. I mean, this is I mean, listen. Oh, here we go. Yeah. I mean, I'm not accusing Amy of anything. Right. She's 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 a wonderful person. Right. And God has the patience of Job, clearly, but Right. I didn't strike you as a religious guy, but okay. You've got one who's in electrical engineering or mechanical engineering it's or something. Biomedical engineering. And then you've got one that 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 is a, is a successful point guard. Yeah. I mean, how? I mean, I'm just asking. See, what had happened was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've got questions, but I mean, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that way. That Look, I'll say this. Look, maybe, and yeah, you, can appreciate what like, you can appreciate what I'm going to say more than anybody. But and so can your listeners that watch this and not just hear you. But looks can at times be deceiving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. 
I mean, I try not to talk about looks, Mark. I try to leave. I try to leave looks out of things, you know. And just I, look, I can understand focus, why. Yeah, they, focus on merit more than yeah. you know. That yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. All right, buddy. Enjoy. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Good luck to your Saints in the draft, and hope to talk to you soon. Tell Lee I said. Uh, tell him I said hello, Lee. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> yeah. Hey, appreciate it, and uh, thanks for the time. We'll be in touch. We'll get you on soon. All right. Later. That was Mark Heim. Always fun to catch up with him. Had a great time doing radio with him back in the day. One of my better friends. <clears throat> um, thanks, everybody, for being here. Uh, making us a part of your week. Enjoy uh, the draft tonight. Again, Ole Miss baseball against Arkansas this weekend. Chase will have coverage throughout the weekend. And then we will be back on Monday with another edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast. We'll put this in podcast form um, on uh, sometime Friday or later today. Whatever, put it in the stream. You can listen to it in podcast form. Again, thanks to Craig Rodriguez. Thanks to Mark Heim. Thanks to Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating for making this show possible. Until uh, next time. For Chase, for Chase Parham, I'm Neil McCready. Take care.